Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guest. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's a former police officer. He's a lawyer representing law enforcement officers and everyone else. Plus, he's a prolific author. And he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Georgia on the phone, the one, the only, one of my favorite guests on the Law Enforcement Today show, Lance LaRusso, attorney at law. And when I say he's one of my favorites and he's an attorney, you should stop and take notice because <laughs> generally speaking, police and attorneys don't get along that well. But uh, in this case, you, you'd be pleasantly surprised. Lance, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Before we get into, there's so much to talk about. You're an author. You've written so many books. You've written so many articles on law enforcement today. In addition to other police websites, you have a new forum or category in our forum at Law Enforcement called Blue Line Lawyer. Uh, You have also been a police officer. So for those who aren't familiar with you, let's start with a brief overview of your law enforcement career. Sure. I've been carrying a badge of one kind or another since 1987. Um, I worked for about 12 years as a street cop and trainer, hostage negotiator, um, investigator, and then I went to uh, then I went into private practice. I went to graduate school and law school at night, and I've been in private practice since 1999. My um, practice now opened up my own law firm in 2008. So we primarily represent first responders in everything from uh, car wrecks, tractor-trailer wrecks, uh, overtime suits, and we respond out to officer-involved shootings. So last year alone, I responded to 14 officer-involved shootings involving 21 officers, and to date, I think I'm at about a little over 72 or 73 critical incidents that we've responded to. And it's sad, but that's the reality. Those things those things happen. They seem to be happening in more frequency. And as you and I discussed before, and we will talk about again today, when a law enforcement officer has to use force, whether it be hands-on force or deadly force, it is a criminal investigation, and they are entitled to an attorney just like everybody else. And I'd be honest, I'd say, and when I was a police sergeant, I told guys, you don't talk to anybody until you talk to their attorney. And so it's valuable tool. It's something that all law enforcement officers and every citizen should know that. 
Yeah, and it's interesting, the misconceptions, and it's actually, I've run into some prosecutors who think that Garrity is a bunch of nonsense, and if an officer is uh, sworn to protect the public, then they don't, they're not entitled to a Fifth Amendment right, which is kind of interesting. That whole Fifth Amendment thing was in all the papers, so I don't understand where they're getting that. Uh, but, you know, I talk about this in my book, um, Blue News, about the media intersection, also When Cops Kill, and the profits from those two books and peacemaking support law enforcement charities. We're over $22,000 so far donated to law enforcement charities. Well, my hat's off to you. That's, that's a huge number. And I know you've helped lots of people. Uh, but there's so much work we can talk about between your books, between what's going on in the law. The, the one thing, and I want to go backtrack, people don't seem to realize just because you take a job in law enforcement that you still have the same constitutional rights as everybody else. Some people seem to think, and a very intellectual people, educated people, people in power, position of authority, news media seem to think otherwise. Yeah, and it's really interesting. The only constitutional right that's limited in some ways by your public employment is your First Amendment right, and it doesn't mean you don't have one. There's just some limitations. The famous Garcetti decision that just basically talked about, uh, you know, some limitations on a public employee's right to speak and whether or not that can be regulated. But the vast majority of the rest of your constitutional rights are alive and well. For instance, if an officer is involved in a shooting, as you stated, or it even becomes in any way the subject of a criminal investigation, they're not required to answer any questions of criminal investigators. Um, now, whether they do or not has to do with their obligation to provide uh, evidence of an affirmative defense if they want to raise one. But I have seen supervisors, situations that I was involved in, where supervisors said, well, you can talk to your lawyer after you talk to the criminal investigators. Well, I mean, that's just crazy. And sometimes it's just, I'm a big believer that a lot of these misconceptions are based on a lack of training and education. Yeah, absolutely. And wanting to get it, the job handled as quickly as possible. From a supervisor's point of view, you want to get it taken care of and you want to do the right things. I, I get that point. But in the news lately, and on law enforcement today, we've had it quite often. We hear stories about police officers. We had a police chief just recently lost his job over a Facebook post they made two years ago. Uh, and by his own words, it was offensive and it's crude. So when we talk about the First Amendment rights to free speech, we hear all the time, especially from the NFL, that I have a right to, at work, to protest to say what i want to say for whatever reason and it doesn't matter who i represent that same right does not apply to law enforcement officers firefighters emts or pretty much anyone in that first responder world does it yeah and and it's interesting because the first question that's asked in that analysis and uh, is whether or not the person speaking as an employee or whether or not they're speaking as a private citizen and that's you know when you start having a Facebook page that has your face and uniform printed all over it, it's kind of hard to say when you post something that, you know, you're speaking as a private citizen. It makes it harder for you to meet that burden. But, you know, social media has become the scorpion's tail of um, either activists or uh chain of command folks that are trying to gun for someone. You know, it, it kind of comes down to if somebody, you know, putting this back before Facebook in the dark ages, you know, like we talk about, we talk about the Bronze Age, uh, but, you know, before Facebook, if you sit there and talked about it, just imagine if somebody replayed every single conversation you had at a party, every single, single thing that you said to a friend, every thing, single thing that you said when you were out to dinner with people, that's basically what a deep dive into someone's social media is. And the question is, can most people survive 
that type of scrutiny. I don't know of anybody that is perfect. Uh, you know, what's the old saying? Those who are without sin should cast stone, cast the first stone. I don't know of anyone, any walk of life, that if you went back far enough, you wouldn't find something stupid they said that they didn't mean. Yeah, and the other problem that you have is there's no context in social media. So use Twitter, for example. It's 140 characters. That's all you get. And 140 characters, is it possible for me to write something to Jay and for Jay to feel comfortable that he knows what I'm saying, but then a third person reads it and says, well, that doesn't sound like that at all. I mean, I read three or four things into that and say, well, why didn't you explain it? Because only had 140 characters. That's why I didn't explain it. So it really has, unfortunately, has hampered departments sometimes and even having a social media presence because a lot of command staff are concerned about how the uh, the public or other folks will misconstrue a statement that's made, uh, so it, it demands a certain amount of uh, of oversight. But uh, it becomes a real issue when somebody tries to you know specifically gun for an officer. And you know what's interesting to me is uh, the folks in the name of tolerance who want these people drummed out of public safety. The words "I'm sorry" mean absolutely nothing anymore. No. I'm sorry it was really stupid really doesn't mean anything unless you're not a law enforcement officer. Exactly. It, uh, and this goes to an article I wrote for Law Enforcement Today, uh, basically saying that cops are losing the social media battle. And part of the reason why is if you're if you're a law enforcement officer, you're a first responder, firefighter, EMT, corrections officer, dispatcher, and you have a Facebook page, and you post your opinion about something that can be even slightly misconstrued as being hostile, uh, caustic, aggressive, offensive. Someone's going to take offense and someone's going to report you. So what we need to do is when people like me, like law enforcement, say, I'm retired. I can say things. I, that's one of the great things about being retired police. It doesn't matter. I'm not worried about retaliation from a government agency. So when you, we post something in law enforcement today or any other police website you see on their social media, even though there's no one else really worth a darn, uh, just us, Share it. <laughs> Click, like, engage with that, and share it, because that's how we spread the word. Yeah, and I talk about this in the book Blue News, and the, the premise of Blue News is if you don't tell your story, someone else will. Exactly. And if you sit back and wait, uh, and Ferguson was a perfect example, it probably took five minutes for the medical examiner to be able to determine that Michael Brown was not shot at the back and wasn't shot with his hands up. And if the media had seen a press conference, where they released just those two things and said nothing else and said, we're not going to take any questions right now, but we want you to understand these are the facts or the fact that two of the sho- one of the shots took place uh, in, the, in the car to the hand of the officer, the other shot took place inside the car, where would we be? But when we let someone else tell our story, they're not going to tell it in a manner that's favorable to us. And that's a perfect way of putting it. That's one of the things, reasons why I do the Law Enforcement Radio Show. We have relied for t- far too long for other people to tell our stories, and they don't do it accurately. There's a lot of bias involved. It's selling. There's a lot of things that go into, and that people don't realize that news media is not required to tell you the truth. They are out there to get eyeballs on their product. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. 
Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603-800-451-8603-800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com or download our free app also available on our website that's lawenforcementtoday.com returning to our conversation with lance larusso attorney at law former law enforcement officer the blue line lawyer the list goes on and on lance uh, uh, (laughs) of the things that you do i don't know where you get the time or the energy uh, you know, I'm Italian, and writing is probably the only thing I can do uh, and miss meals, uh, which says a lot. Um, I just get in the zone. That or sitting behind a rifle and shooting at long distances, it's my zen, and everybody has to have it. As a matter of fact, February 20th, I put out a collection of short stories called Parallax, True Crime Tales, and they're fiction, but they really incorporate a lot of real police procedure. Um, and we'll have another set coming out February of 2020, but in the fall, we're having a novel come out. So uh, the writing is really my escape. Uh, it really it, it, it helps me stay grounded, and I really enjoy it. This is in addition to all the legal work you do. You do a lot for the, is it the Georgia State FOP? Right. I'm the general counsel for the Georgia State Fraternal Order of Police, and I do a lot of other work um, in addition to that with some nonprofits. But, you know, you have to decide in life who you want to be a hero to. Because you can't be a hero to everyone. And that's a lesson that street cops learn, I think, the first day on the job. If you do your job, someone's going to go home unhappy. Uh, but if you decide who you want to be a hero to, you'll make a better impact on life. And I decided a long time ago I wanted to be a hero to people in public safety, speak out for them. You mentioned chain of command before. I don't have one. And it's liberating. It is. It is extremely liberating. Not to say that everybody I ever worked for uh, was bad. I, I had the pleasure of serving on some great police commissioners, some great lieutenants, majors, you name it, and also some very bad ones that were just bureaucratic 
paper shufflers uh, that really didn't care about their people. And one of the things that is so important is we ask, and rightfully so, we ask a lot from our law enforcement officers. We demand that they be beyond reproach, that they handle people with the utmost care, that they do everything to the letter of the law, try to be almost like superhero in their behavior all the time because our communities are worth it. And yet, so often these bureaucrats, these departments won't take care of their people. They'll, they're like quick to go after them, especially when there's political pressure involved. They want to punish them. They want to take money from them. They want to hurt them. They want to make them an example. And I don't understand it. You know, I'm an adjunct professor at Columbus State University, and I teach in a program I'm very proud of. It's called the Command College. It's a master's level program for uh, police and fire leadership. And, you know, one of the premises that I have, and I've written on this, is I've represented people, and now I've worked in the private sector for years. I've worked in the public sector. And when someone gets suspended in the private sector, it's an event. And most of the time in the private sector, if somebody has an eight-hour orientation class before they start, it's a lot. In law enforcement, we train people for months. We give them all the parameters and guidelines. We spend a lot of money dealing with them and, and training them and recruiting them. But we can't go a week without suspended people. You know, if you're suspending people for the same issue, or if you're suspending a lot of people, you probably have a training problem or you have a supervision problem. And the bottom line is that right now, uh, NBC said that there's a 90% drop in recruiting places. Nobody's uh, dropping recruits like manna from heaven anymore. So we need to get better at either training or finding an alternative way to discipline people. And if your only solution is to take pay out of people's pockets, that's not going to work anymore, and it probably was never a good idea to start with. No, and there was a time back in the day, and, and some people refer to me as old school or dinosaur or relic when it comes to law enforcement. Do you and, say thank you? Uh, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and some even would go so far as to call me a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal. But as a sergeant, especially as a patrol sergeant, you had a great deal of authority, and you had a great deal of responsibility. and. We had to make sure the men and women under us did their job, did the best to take care of people, took the appropriate action when they did, and when they messed up. If someone messed up in the line of of doing their job, made an honest mistake, we dealt with it. We corrected them. We disciplined them internally. It was guidance and counseling. Quite often, they got a bad detail for a while. They got talked to. And when they learned their lesson, then they got back into a patrol car, did the things they're supposed to do. We were never quick to bring them to the lieutenant's attention or the major or anybody else or personnel because that usually meant what you just said, suspension, firing, the whole nine yards. And what's interesting now, and I'm, I guess I'm old school too, I was issued my front lock and my horse when I graduated yeah. from police academy. But, you know, it's interesting now what, with the activists, and, and I've maintained that a lot of these people who are telling law enforcement how to do their jobs couldn't do it if their life depended on it. But they're saying, well, that type of, you know, corrective action where, you know, somebody has a bad detail or they go to training or they have to sit through an in-service or something, well, that just deprives the public of knowing how bad your law enforcement officers are. Well, let me help you. They're not bad. They're not. They're 99% they of the time, they're outstanding. Most would, yeah, most, they, would, they do a job that most people could not do in neighborhoods that most people would not go to on a bet with their windows rolled up and their doors locked. Right. And they relate to people that are completely different from them every day. And they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And when they do, the question is, is it a mistake that they intentionally made? 
or is it a mistake where they were faced between a horrible set of options and they chose something that someone disagreed with? So I think that that type of support from upper management is one of the things that's going to really help us, and from the community, is what's going to help us keep our recruiting numbers up because we're running out of recruits. My old agency, the Baltimore Police Department, last I heard the official numbers, they're 500 officers short. And they are working people who have forced overtime, they're assigned overtime, and are sent to districts they're not even familiar with in areas that they have no idea where they're at. And they've already done eight or nine, ten hours, and now they're doing three or four more, and they have no idea where they are. And it's a well, bad situation for everybody. It is a bad situation, and any organizational behavior class that you go to is going to tell you the more fatigued people are, the more they're going to make errors, whether that's wrecking police cars or getting short-tempered with somebody who yells at It is, and not to sound like a bleeding deacon, but our communities deserve better. And I always say this, especially to police administrators, if you're one of those people who can't balance the care and welfare of your community you serve alongside equally the care and welfare of the people that work for you, then you're part of the problem, and you need to move over and make room for someone who can do it. Yeah, there's no doubt that the public overwhelmingly supports law enforcement. And when you invite them to speak their minds, when you invite them to show their support at different events, you find them coming out of the woodwork to do that. So that means they're going to be accepting of the officer who has a bad day. And I think that when we're looking at the the tremendous strain that police officers are under right now, I was never under that type of strain. I never had people screaming and hollering at me on the street just because I was wearing a uniform. And when you look at the statistics, I didn't have people, except for rare years, we didn't have people targeting officers for ambushes based on the uniform. So it's a different world that they're in, and God bless every one of them that's willing to do it right now. It is, and we need more of them. Uh, I always say this, too. You know, one of the great things about living in America is that if you have an emergency, it doesn't matter what time of day or night, you have a family member that falls sick, someone's breaking your house, something really bad's happening, a fire, you can pick up a phone and call 911 in just about every community in the United States, exception maybe being Alaska where they're days away. You can have help there within minutes. It might be five, it might be 10, but someone's going to come. A first responder's going to show up. They're going to help you. We need them to be in the best physical, mental shape they can be in because all of our safety and our needs are dependent upon that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I had somebody on a radio interview. I've probably done over 500 media interviews, 550, I think is what I'm up to. And I had uh, a guy call me an apologist for law enforcement. I started laughing. It was a radio show. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, how could you say that? I said, because they don't have anything to apologize for. On the other end of that phone at the 911 call is a stranger who doesn't know you, and they're willing to put their life at risk for the strangers, some of whom don't even like them. So for that, they deserve your respect. They don't have anything to apologize for. No, you're absolutely right. One of the the big misconceptions that we have all the time, and I get sick and tired of talking about it, and uh, I know you and I have discussed it before, there is a huge difference in our world of people making mistakes, doing their job, learning how to be better at their job, and those who commit criminal behavior. No one that I know of, myself included, would tolerate any type of criminal criminal behavior from anyone in law enforcement. We didn't want to be around it. We wanted them gone as quickly as possible. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back to our conversation with Lance LaRusso in just a bit. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? 
Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800 956 0677 get your free starter kit until 500 are gone you'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk largely tax-free and get 90 percent of the work done for you for pennies that's 800-956-0677 800-956-0677 again 800-956-0677 that's 800-956-0677 epidemic America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center, call 888 888- Nine nine one nine seven two five. That's eight 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 nine nine one nine seven two five. And online at transformationstreatment.center. There are many sounds in your daily life. Ones that make you smile. <laughs> ones that help you relax. And there are some sounds that can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts. Now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you critical information about emergencies in your area. With updates from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know wherever you are. Learn more at ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to the Law Enforcement Today show, our guest, Lance LaRusso, attorney at law, former law enforcement officer, and all-around good guy. Uh, and I do mean that uh, with all sincerity, Lance. And, and I'm, I'm hoping to have you on the Law Enforcement Show at least once a quarter. Uh, there's always so much to talk about law-wise. There's also a lot to talk about uh, in just everyday life thing. There's not legal issues. And one of them we brought up is we keep hearing constantly uh, about isolation, depression, PTSD, substance abuse, and, and law enforcement suicides. And so we at Law Enforcement Today have put together a forum for everybody. And then we also have a peer support section. It's accessible right from the app on our phone. You can download the app on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You set up a screen name and you can talk anonymously to anybody. And most of the people have been through it already. So 
Uh, it's not counseling. It's not therapeutic services. It's just hanging out with other people who've been there. Yeah, it's an interesting thing when we talk about suicide. I've lost uh, friends to suicide, um, police officers to suicide, and it's devastating. Uh, departments, I think, on some level are probably never the same. But I think that the the forum is fantastic. I know that they've added a forum called Blue Line Lawyer that I'm honored to be uh, part of. Uh, that basically will help with um, with some legal questions, at least kind of giving people some ideas on where to go for legal questions. But this notion of um, of mental health in law enforcement, fortunately, is being talked about in the open, and we're seeing a lot more of these uh, suicides now. I can tell you that you can probably get 100 psychologists and psychiatrists in a room, and they'll all tell you different reasons as to why people take their own lives. But without a doubt, I know that from representing clients that isolation is probably the biggest complaint officers have after a critical incident. And I can speak directly to that. Um, I've been lecturing all over the United States a couple of times uh, to a lot of folks from Canada and one time in Canada. And it's a common theme. And I know that the number one complaint my clients have, the number one complaint officers have after a shooting, is isolation. After about four or five years, you know, we only associate with other officers. You know, we throw the uh, a firefighter in there for, for good measure here and there. Uh, but the bottom line is people identify with other officers. And then when they're involved in a critical incident, the first thing they're told is, hey, Jay, don't talk about this to anybody. And then the shift, hey, don't talk to Jay about what happened. Um, because there's an IA coming up, you know, the, the state agencies investigating. But what we forget is there's a lot of conversations we can have with that officer, irrespective of the facts. Right. And what I recommend, and I've been recommending for years, is when an officer is involved in a critical incident, whether it's a shooting, whether it's a bad car wreck or whatever, or whether they're just injured in a car wreck and they're out for a while, assign someone over the rank of lieutenant, or depending on how your structure works, lieutenant or above, to go check on that person. And it's a text. It's a phone call. I've seen situations where officers were involved in shootings, and the media presence was so heavy, they didn't want to go to the grocery store. So bring them some groceries. You know, take them out to a ball game. Take them to a movie. Make sure they're not isolated. And the reason I say assign a supervisor to it, make sure that people are reminded, hey, don't talk to Jay about what happened. But, you know, go go watch a ball game to them. Go watch, you know, something on TV with them. Spend some time with them. Have a cookout. Invite them over. Because that isolation, typically, and I've seen this with officers, that isolation from a first event, PTSD is definitely not a linear line. When you're looking at PTSD and the, accumulate, the accumulation of stress, that second event may be enough to push someone exponentially off the charts because of the way the first one was handled. You're exactly right, and I've heard it from so many people. I've also heard the very same thing uh, from survivors who their law enforcement spouse will kill a line of duty, and the, one of their chief complaints is that once a funeral's over and a few months later on, no one talks to them anymore. It's like they don't exist. At, or, And I get it from the other side because I, I've been afraid of what I might say. I might say the wrong thing. I might do the wrong thing. I might make the situation worse, so what do I do? I tend not to talk to them at all. And that's the worst thing we can do. Well, I represented, I'll give you an example of an officer I represented. He had 27 surgeries after an injury on duty. And he basically was out so long that he felt like people had forgotten him. And it's so easy to say, I don't know what to say. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell folks that saying something, just letting people know they're remembered is so important. We had a woman in our church 
uh, a Stevens minister. She was a lay minister, and uh, she and her husband were the couple who went to everybody's house when someone died. Then her husband died. And she said that when she opened the door and people were there, she understood now from the other side of that door, it doesn't matter what you say when the person opens it. It matters that you're standing there. That's exactly right. I never right. forgot that. Yeah, that's, that's very powerful. I, I do remember uh, years ago being at a, uh, a military um, awareness event. It was almost like a carnival, picnic, barbecue-type deal. And, and a woman was speaking, and her, her son was severely injured in combat in Afghanistan. And he was at the hospital at Walter Reed. And she lived in Southern Maryland, so it was about a two-hour drive. And she was going back and forth every day for about four months. And, and someone asked her, what could people have done that would have made it be a difference? She said, just invite me in for dinner. I was so tired of having restaurant food and fast food. And I was so struck by that comment because I'd never thought of it. Well, and one of the reasons I love this show is we get to talk about stuff that we wouldn't normally talk about outside the house. And I think one of the reasons, after representing a lot of officers who were catastrophically, catastrophically injured, a lot of officers who've been involved in critical incidents like officer-involved shootings, I think one of the reasons officers are reluctant to contact them, especially like the officer who gets hit by a DUI driver, breaks a leg, a hip, it's real. Now, for the first time, when they look at their friend who was injured, it can happen to me, too. Right. And we, you know, I mean, how many times, dude, did you search a building? I can remember searching a Home Depot with me and a beat partner at night. It was crazy. I mean, if somebody wanted to have us in that building, they could have had us. Oh, easily, and yeah. We, we, we feel like we're in control of so much, but when someone gets injured in the line of duty, it's a reminder that, hey, this facade we put on is not as thick as you think it is. And it, you, you bring a really good point because it, it brings, we all know you can get hurt. We all know that it could happen, you could get killed. But it, somehow, in my mind at least, it was like, well, it's not going to happen to me. And I do recall while I was working narcotics, playing clothes narcotics in the Northwest District of Baltimore, we had an incident where a guy took off running between a couple of houses and we gave pursuit. And it turns out, long story short, uh, that was a setup. There was a guy hiding around the corner on the other side, the, like the east side of the house, and he ran to the west side of the house, and he was, his plan was to shoot me. Not my partner's was to shoot me. And I had no idea until a couple of weeks later when he arrested someone else and we were able to verify it. So to have your life hang in the balance between 30, 40 feet, or a split decision someone makes that's beyond your control, that can bring it all home to you where you're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because that could have been me. It happened to Joe. He's a great cop. It could happen to me too. How long ago was that, Jay? That was uh, probably 86, right around there. And you've never forgotten it and the no. tempo of your voice picked up when you were talking about it. That's that's one of the points that I bring up in peacemaking. Um, I bring it up in When Cops Kill. Officers experience things that change their lives forever, some good, some bad. I was telling somebody that experience the other day, and I stopped and realized that my heart was going a little bit faster. It was 20 years ago, yeah, 25 years ago. I, I mean, and it's interesting when you, when you look at these things um, that it's easy to forget because we deal with it on a regular basis. And now with shortages, like you were talking about Baltimore being 500 officers short, you know, we've got officers going as singletons to calls that we would never send an officer alone to, 
And that's the real risk of having shortages in recruiting. And that's why it needs to turn around. I think communities um, are willing to help law enforcement officers recruit. We just need to reach out to them because, you know, just going to a job fair, just putting an ad out, is not going to bring us where we need to be. Absolutely not. We're talking with Lance LaRusso, attorney at law, all around good guy, author, former police officer. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786. 800-932-1786. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. You don't see as well as you used to, and it's getting worse. You're not sure where to turn for support. Wondering what's next? Vision loss doesn't have to hold you back from living the life you want. The National Federation of the Blind can help whether you're blind or experiencing vision loss. Visit nfb.org to connect with people in your community and get support. The National Federation of the Blind. Live the life you want. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Welly, joined by Lance LaRusso. Lance is a former police officer. He's an attorney. He is the legal representation for Georgia State Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, what's the exact title of that? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Oh, sure. I'm the general counsel for the Georgia Fraternal Order of Police. We're about uh, somewhere around 4,500 members, 
and growing and uh, represent individual lodges as well. But I represent all the FOP members in the state of Georgia. And you also have written so many books. Uh, You've got a new one out. Uh, Tell us about that one. Sure. I've written three uh, nonfiction books, and then I have a fiction book out right now. It's called Parallax, True Crime Tales. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to bluelinelawyer.com and get some instructions on downloading. It's an e-book only. Uh, we'll be coming out with an audio book shortly, but it's a collection of short stories. They're all fiction, but they're called true crime tales because they incorporate real law enforcement procedures. So uh, somebody asked me about watching TV shows, and I said, you know, if I have to watch another TV show where a cop can't take a gun out of a holster or put it back in without two hands, I'm going to scream. Um, so there's, I know a lot of cops get frustrated, family members get frustrated, when the uh, the books, the fiction, uh, is not realistic. My wife goes nuts when she reads stories and someone says they took the safety off of their Glock. Yeah. So they're really written with a lot of uh, realism in them, and uh, people have liked it. I think they've been downloaded close to 3,000 times now, and it's been out since February 20th. That's uh, a lot of downloads in a short period of time. It is. Maybe Lincoln was right. You can fool all the people all the time. I don't know. <laughs> so it's fiction, but you've got elements of true stories in there. Is that a good way of putting it? Absolutely. I mean, people will uh, look at this, and I think that officers will say, you know, that's a real-life experience. And I've had a couple of folks that have have read the story say, um, there's no way this is not have a, a truth of reality into it. And if nothing else, it's the way the officers are perceiving things. You know, we watch TV shows, and an officer goes through a horrible situation, you know, the officer does CPR, uh, and then after the commercial break, they're yucking it up with their friends. Uh, that's not the way the real world works. No. And what I was trying to do is portray officers as people and that, you know, they really do deal with situations that are extremely tense and difficult, but they show up to work the next day to uh, to do the job again. And they do it for people they, they don't know. And they do it for people in a community where they know a significant amount of animosity, and they still show up and do it all every day. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I remember um, getting uh, stopping someone, and, and they called me every name in the book. Um, and I had an opportunity to arrest them for driving with a suspended license, but it was way out of state. No, I, I know what our courts would have done to it. So I wrote him a ticket for driving with a suspended license, and uh, he looked at me. I said, now you're going to have to go uh, tell your friends that the cop that you were making fun of and said was so so bad gave you a break I, I want to see you go explain that to him blank look on his face to this day i wonder what he told him absolutely probably didn't tell him that you know and this something people want would like to think that you are an anomaly uh the people who are in law enforcement many many years as police officers sheriff's deputies state troopers that go to school and become lawyers but you're not i knew quite a few in baltimore that did that one of my sergeants uh, was a, a great sergeant great police officer and, and a good lawyer he passed away may rest in peace how many out there do you think are doing this oh god there's a ton of them there's actually one in your neck of the woods uh, named patrick mcandrew who was a law enforcement officer he's become a good friend and uh, the uh, fraternal order of police the national uh, level has a class that they run every year for general counsels or lawyers who represent cops throughout the United States. And I'm lecturing at it again this year. About every couple of years, I do a, a block of instruction. So there's people out there, and there's lawyers out there who are willing to represent law enforcement and, and run it for the right reasons, and a lot of them are former law enforcement officers, either retired or they worked for a while and uh, decided this was their calling. And I can see it happening 
because as a police officer, you had to constantly be indoctrinated or learn or study or find out what is new in the law. I remember when Carol Doctrine Mobility came out and we had to change the way we did things when it came to warrantless search and seizures with vehicles. You always had to to really study and know the best way a, a law enforcement officer could constitutional law. So these men and women were not stupid and they certainly spent far more time than a lot of litigation attorneys, let's say personal injury attorneys, do with constitutional law. Yeah, and about you know, my dad was uh, an attorney. He passed away a couple of years ago, and I used to tease him that he practiced law with Lincoln. But he uh, was a World War II vet, came back from the war, and uh, took an exemption test and went to law school early without a college degree. And he used to say that lawyers don't have to know the law. Judges don't have to know the law. The person who has to know the law is a street cop because they have to make a split-second decision. And I always loved this about the law. And people ask me why I became a lawyer. I was always fascinated with the fact that, for instance, you know, the fact that an officer can light up the inside of a car with a flashlight. The Supreme Court, none of them ever stopped a car at 3 o'clock in the morning. But they recognized that the plain view doctrine would extend to a law enforcement officer walking up and for their own safety lighting up the inside of the car. And it's fascinating to me that nine people who never stopped a car who probably had very little contact with law enforcement throughout their entire lives, like in Graham versus Connor, they recognize the realities of law enforcement and the split-second decisions that officers have to make. That's always been fascinating to me, um, and especially the fact that I get to look out, off, off, look out after officers now, keeping those principles in mind. It's quite an honor to be able to do it. I'm so glad you do, and, and we do have to make these split decisions under worst circumstances quite often, and Sometimes officers make mistakes, and sometimes there's catastrophic results from that mistake. But differentiating between criminal behavior and someone making an honest human mistake, and when they do make these honest human mistakes, they suffer, and they suffer immeasurably for probably the rest of their life. Yeah, and there's a concept, you know, I've represented doctors in hospitals for about 18 years, and there's a concept that I've tried to adapt to law enforcement. It's called a standard of care. So a physician um, looking at you coming into the ER and you don't know what's wrong with you, but the physician's been asked to look and determine what's going on, there's a standard of care. They act the way a reasonable physician would do under like or similar circumstances, similarly trained. And that recognizes they may make a bad judgment call, but that doesn't equal liability. And sometimes we, we pin officers with these micro violations of a policy um, when really the officer was choosing between either bad decisions that they had to make and were really bad options, or they were choosing between situations that were never covered in a policy manual and they had to apply their own judgment. And I think if we look at that more and we look at more root cause analysis like we do in the airline industry or the medical profession, what caused the injury? For instance, what caused the officer shooting somebody with a cell phone in their hand? Well, was it dispatch priming? Was it the fact that all the officer heard on the way over there was the person had a gun and it threatened people? Was it the fact that it was extremely low light? Or, and this is not palatable to some people, was it because the person absolutely refused to drop what was in their hands, refused to comply with orders, and led a reasonable, prudent person who just happened to be wearing a uniform to think they were going to be shot at? So I think if we get more into that type of analysis we're going to recognize that over and over and over again, law enforcement officers make unbelievably good decisions 
under horrible circumstances that are tense and rapidly evolving to uh, to plagiarize the Graham versus Connor opinion. And we don't have enough time to go into the rest of that conversation, but that that is basically what happened in Sacramento. Uh, and and when an officer or two officers do make that decision based off of everything they see. And the district attorney says we're not prosecuting. They didn't violate the law. They didn't do anything criminal. People want to view it as a racial matter or something else and that can't be defended and can't be proven. And all of a sudden, it takes a life of its own. Uh, and it's not fair to anybody. It, it's not fair to the officers. It's not fair to the community. And it's certainly not fair to the other person that was involved. We'll have to have you back to talk about that because that's that's a conversation in itself that could take about an entire 45 minutes. No, absolutely. And I'll, and I'll tell you very quickly on that what happens. The DA comes out and says the officer didn't do anything wrong. The folks who said the officers were wrong to start with don't want to utter those words, I was wrong. They think the systems failed. The officers need better training. We need more de-escalation training, which is a fallacy in and of itself. You know, people like me who don't have a chain of command look at these folks and say, let me explain this to you. You think the officer did something wrong because you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. So it's real simple. Exactly. And I can say this, and I tell people all the time, in my years in law enforcement, I was shot at by four different guys, and uh, all of them were an opposite race from me, and not one of them shot at me because uh, of the color of my skin. They all shot at me to avoid apprehension. That was what it was all about, and it never was about anything other than that. For me to make it more than that, it's just not... It doesn't do anybody any justice. Lance LaRusso, before we go, get people where they can get more information about your books and you. Sure. They can go to Amazon.com. They can go to BlueLineLawyer.com. The books are available there. Lance LaRusso, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Yeah.